Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Rescue Radio. Today's topic is, why am I still doing what I don't want to do? And before we get started, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, these um, awesome uh, technical devices that you've given us to be able to speak to people all over the world. And I pray that you draw our hearts and our ears and our minds into the fullness of the revelation of your great love, your goodness, your mercy for us, Lord God, that tonight as people are listening, today, wherever, and that they will be set free, brought into the full revelation of the the freedom and the peace, the truth uh, that you died to give us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your salvation. And we declare that no weapon formed against us or this radio show will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the enemy will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, destruction, or interruption, Father God. We thank you for wisdom, and may we speak tonight as the oracles of God. And, Lord God, let us have fun. Heavy-duty topic, but, Lord God, we want to have some fun. So, Lord, we thank you again, and we ask that you guide us on this uh, topic today of why am I still doing what I want to do? I'm Margie, and... I'm Jerry. Hey. Hey, here we go. What a topic. I mean, uh, how come, a lot of people spend a lot of time doing what they really don't want to do. Yeah, have you noticed that, huh? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean... It, it, everything with from work, you know, a lot of people, you know, people's jobs, most people are unhappy with their jobs. Mm-hmm. And they they're find eating too much. They're, they're eating too much. They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to quit, but they can't stop. Right, trying to lose weight, trying to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. You know. trying, to, trying to balance the budget right, right. Or, or keep the weight off. Like. Yeah, trying to keep the kids under control. Okay, stay focused. Stay focused, yeah. all that kind of stay stuff. Pot, stay happy. Stay happy, yeah. No, yeah. But you notice all of that requires a lot of trying. Trying is like, you know, uh, I've been to a, a lot of churches and heard a lot of different messages. A lot of times I hear peace pastors saying, you know, try to do this, try to do that. You try should. To do that. Yeah. You should and yeah. try. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, man, what a... What a what a it's an it's a constant effort. it's a constant effort. It's, it's it? a constant effort, and you just you just try and try and try and try and try and and you just get you just get all worn. Well, out. it's like this. Have you ever noticed how trying you know requires a constant effort? Like trying to you know, breathing is good, but trying to breathe is not good. Not good. How about sleeping is good, but trying to sleep is not, not good. good. Yeah. <laughs> trying to get well, yeah. but not you know is is not good. Everything. That requires so much effort actually takes us away from the rest and the peace of the goodness of God. Well, did Jesus talk to us about trying? No, actually, he didn't even use that word. Did you ever use that? Read that in the Bible. No, Jesus I said, haven't. "Try to heal the sick, try to cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, try, try to try to preach the gospel." Yeah, no, I, I he didn't use the word ever. What are we going to do about that? You know, we're we're accustomed accustomed to trying. We're trying to try. We're we're you know kind of like programmed to try. Well, and, that's, and a lot of times, you know, there's motivational speakers that yeah. talk to you about trying. As long as you've tried hard, yeah. you're going to be okay. 
So it, it's just, you know, you know, we program our kids this way too. Well, and, and especially if we're doing something we don't really want to do, you know. So, I mean, that's what really happens is that's when we really get motivated because we are doing something that makes us feel bad, we feel guilty, we feel like we're, you know, failing, and so we want to, you know, get away from that. So what we do, one of the things we do is we start to set boundaries and try to keep a balance in our life. But again, back to trying Trying requires that those boundaries and balances be enforced. And so when you're drawing a line and you're counting your calories and you're trying to maintain your goodness by a set of rules, and of course, we're going to break the rules, right? Yeah, well, what about, you know, say if you set a boundary and, and you cross the boundary. Well, and then you fail. Then you fail. So, then you're guilty. So then, then there's another boundary you have in another area of your life. You cross that. You fail again. Yeah. So you keep trying to fail, and you keep failing. So you're just getting better at failing is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it is you're trying to do. But that's not the way the gospel was set up at all. The gospel was set up to um, bring us to the place of rest and peace, abiding, uh, rejoicing. A lot of people don't recognize that, and they think that's too easy, or they think they've got to do something. There's two things people think. I've got to do something, and it's up to me. Well, a lot of times, you know, we, we, we teach our kids, you know, if, I mean, when I was a kid, you, they said, you know, if you if you work hard, you know, you can have the American dream, you can work hard, uh, you got the pension, you know, anybody could be the president of the United States. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much, but, you know, you have a dream, and if you work hard toward that dream, you know, well, you're going to get the, to the dream. Yeah. But not necessarily. Well, you know. With, with ever, what, whenever you're looking at something like boundaries or balance or trying, you're all, always looking at rules. Like just, for example, let's take counting calories. Um, that's a rule. You know, the rule is you've got to have X number of calories and you've got to lose the weight. And if you don't lose the weight, you're going to, you know, get sick and die or you're going to be fat and ugly or somebody's not going to like you or whatever, whatever. And then so it's all about, you know, trying to keep the rules, stay within the boundaries, and, and there's nothing wrong with healthy living, healthy making healthy choices. There's, Jesus said, do everything in moderation. But when we get to the place where we're so out of control, whether it's drinking, um, using drugs, chemicals, addictions, um, dependencies on anything other than the Lord, then we're under the power and control of that thing. And go ahead. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, it, it's like, can we just come to the place where if we just eat healthy, eat, for example, eating, okay, well, if we eat the things that God has prescribed for us to begin with and mm-hmm. just, just just kind of common sense as far as staying away from a lot of the junk food and uh, just eating fruits and veggies and stuff like that, I know it takes time. We live in a, a society, you know, everything is so busy. You know, we come home from work, we're tired, worn out, we want to, we want to do something just kind of the quick fix, go through, yeah. go through yeah. the drive-thru, pop in a pizza, well, yeah. stuff like that, and uh, well, slosh down the soda. And uh, Well, let's talk about food yeah. for a minute. You know, yeah. um, I actually wrote a whole manual on called Cravings, and we start out with food. And, you know, can I tell you that the very first sin that man and woman committed was had to do with food and eating? Yeah, yeah. So, well, and, and, you know what, and, and it's interesting that if you go with the law and an eye for nine and a tooth for a tooth, and it's a piece of fruit for a a, a weed, or Jesus, when 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 they when they um when they sinned, the thing that happened was the curses that came were in regard to raising food um, by the sweat of your brow, and the ground is going to bring forth weeds, 
Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of interesting, but here's the deal. The very first commandment that God gave us was he told us what to eat. He said, eat the fruit and the, and the, the, with the seed in it and the herb, the green herb for, for our health, for our, the nurturing of our body. So the very first thing that Satan, the one thing that he, God says, don't eat the tree off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that fruit. Okay. So that was the one rule. And that was the only rule that Satan then could focus on to get them to break because it was a rule. So there was one rule in this beautiful garden. They had millions and thousands and I don't know how many trees they had to eat from them. I'm sure they had bushels of fruit. I'm sure they weren't looking for any more food to eat. But the just the no, no, don't touch this one because in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. That was the thing that Satan had to work off of. Okay, if I can just get them to eat that fruit, then they die and they're mine, you know. Well, let's, 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 let's look at that a little bit again about say if somebody is listening and they're just in a just kind of a regular diet, not that great, not that healthy. Uh, some people want to say, well, I don't know, it's going to be too expensive, it t- takes too much time to prepare, and I don't, you know, I, I'm going to have to be a health nut and eat twigs and, you know, Very fiber and berries and stuff well, like that. Okay, but, but let's go back to this, what God said for a minute. He said, eat the food that I give you, eat the food I prescribe for you. It's like our food becomes our medicine. But the enemy, of course, we have. We know we have corrupted food supplies now, and they're full of yeah, pesticides yeah. and GMOs, and they're you know depleted soil and everything else is going on out there. But at the same time, he also said, Jesus also said, God said, eat your food with joy and gladness. Eat it as an act of worship. Eat it with thanksgiving. Pray over it and and be blessed. He does not mean for our food to become a bondage to us. However. Whatever we put in, you know, whatever. How many times a day do you think you open your mouth and put food in it? Well, uh, several times at about three different meals. <laughs> at about a rate of how many <laughs> times well, per minute? Depends on how hard I've been working and stuff. Yeah, you know? but you, you know, could you say maybe we put uh, open our mouth three hundred times a day and put the choice of some food in our mouth well, or something? Uh, maybe be. it's a cigarette. Maybe it's food. You, you open your yeah, mouth. Yeah. You, you agree. When you open your mouth to put that food in there, you have come into agreement to permit that food that you're taking in, whatever it is, to become part of who you are. And it is also used to recondition, um, restore, program, rebuild ourselves, etc. Mm-hmm. And so, but if you are, every time you exercise that your free will to make a choice of what you're going to put in your mouth, choosing to put in things that are not prescribed for you, that are not healthy, that are not good, and you wonder why your body is like rebelling and getting sick and your immune system is falling apart because you cannot, and then you say, oh, I know, I know, I know, I should, I should, I should, I've got to, I've got to, and then you go on this fabulous starvation diet or this new fad diet or this, because you've got to have willpower and you've got to make sure it works and you're trying to, um, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Take, take control. Take control. Take control. Well, that's the big yeah, buzzword. Yeah, yeah but the like. thing is, yeah, but most of the time, you know, the world is, is just, you know, beating down on our heads with fads and diets and treatment programs and guilt trips and gadgets and gimmicks and and um, that must be empowered by us. But we are the one who's being overpowered. You know, we're be, you know, it's like, how can you have power to quit what you cannot stop? It's an oxymoron. It's a, it's a it's a irresolvable conflict. It's going to bring a lot more stress and trouble and condemnation into our life. Going back to the food that God prescribes, 
um, you know, obviously people don't always have access to great, beautiful, wonderful, organic, fresh, ripe, you know, whatever, whatever. And and God's not a legalist. He's not going to beat you up because you don't eat that. But what he does say is, you know, don't pursue death. And I don't know if you know this, honey, but food has frequencies. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I've had quite a few frequencies today. I really good frequencies. Yeah, but I, I feel good. But, hey. but no, 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 no. Back to the frequencies. All right. So, so if food has frequencies and your body has frequencies, I know we're getting way deep and scientific here, honey. So, so just hold on. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> but, you know, if your body needs certain frequencies and, and megahertz in order to live, you know, a certain amount of band of, of energy and megahertz. And if you're eating dead food, what's going to happen to you? Is that going to keep your megahertz up there where they need to be? No, my megahertz are going to be hurting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But see, so that's what we don't understand is that everything um, has a consequence. Everything has a... But the thing is simply to obey. And a lot of people, you've got to stop trying. I think the way to get off of this madness, this roller coaster, this irresolvable conflict is to stop trying to quit. You know, I, I, I would, in treatment programs, I'd go in there and you'd have all these guys who are coming through the program trying to quit the addictions, the chemical use and the alcohol and drugs, whatever. And the first thing I'd stand up and say to them, hey guys, stop trying to quit. And mm-hmm. that's just totally opposite of what everybody's told in, tre- in treatment. They say, you got to work the program, you got to get sober, stay sober, it's up to you, you know, take responsibility. Well, no, here's the deal. You know, with anything here, like uh, trying to lose weight, change your diet, quit smoking, uh, quit drinking, quit smoking, quit drinking uh, you know, be successful, uh, be popular, be beautiful, all this stuff. Why, why do we get into all this? So why are we so dissatisfied with the way we are? Well, and why is it such a struggle for us? I mean, we're trying, we're trying. But um, it, it's well, what's, what's the whole deal going on here? We're in this cycle of uh, well, trying, and mm-hmm. and maybe we succeed for a while, but then we fail, and then we just give up, and it's just it's just a pressure cooker of uh, we don't. frustration. Okay. Well, here's the deal. How can we're, we how can we get out of this? We're made in the image of God. We're made to like and love what that which is good and pure and holy and beautiful and righteous and true and just and fair. And then we're thrown into the snake pit down here with the, with the mud puddle, you will. And, and, and so we don't like being dirty. We don't like being defiled. We don't like being not good. We don't like being messed up. We don't like any of it. And so the, our first reaction, I mean, it's like a knee-jerk reaction. The first thing you're going to do when you don't like something is to fix it. That's what had Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they went to the garden, they were in the garden. What did they do? Well, they, uh, they covered themselves with the hit from God. Yeah. And they tried to say, well, oh, man, we're naked. Something's changed within mm-hmm. us that we don't like. We've got to cover it up. Yeah. So that was the first game of hide-and-seek. But they were hiding because of shame. They didn't want shame to, to overtake them. And while they were hiding, they wanted to fix it so God wouldn't notice. And that's with us who were trying to fix ourselves. Hide and fix. That's, that's a lot of times what we're doing. You know, exactly. People, people will hide behind their... Their clothes or their makeup or, or their cars their, or their yeah. houses or their jobs. And, yeah, because they equate, you know, they equate um, success and, and, and image and, and, and goodness with what they've got, the things they have, their possessions, um, their a bank account, whatever it is. So, so let, me, let me ask you this. Make it hard now. Make it hard. 
how can we just be satisfied and accept the way we are? Is, is that is it okay for us to accept ourselves the way we are, or you know, is, is there something that we that we need to do or allow to happen for us to change, make this easier? It is this a loaded question? Oh, it's, it's loaded. It's, you got about three questions. That's about three in there. questions. Yeah, yeah well, to take it take, apart a little take, bit. Take them apart. Uh, is it okay to be who we are? Absolutely, it's okay because that's. Well, who are who are we? Well, you can't be anybody but who you are. You can't be okay. anybody else. But the world is trying to shape you. The devil's trying to make you think you're stupid, no good, unloved, rejected, overlooked. Well, for the, you, the Bible whatever. says in Romans 12, uh, 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world. Mm-hmm. So this world, this system it, uh, of uh, what's going on on earth, mm-hmm. you know, the politics, the media, the values, uh, mm-hmm. what what we say is important, what you got to wear, what you got to eat, what you got to do, mm-hmm. who you got to be. It's trying to form us into something, make us dissatisfied with who we are, and and uh, you're what, answering your own question, you know. That. Yeah, but what's what's the key then to accepting ourselves? Knowing as, the truth, knowing the truth, and knowing Jesus. Well, what's what's, what's the truth? The then? truth is that I am created in the image of God, and I have been um, messed up by my experiences, by the pit I've been born into, by the the devil's lies and the way he's twisted my experiences and my perceptions, the filters he's, you know, put before me so that I see myself as he wants me to see myself instead of how God does now. But, you know, a lot of people are, they're looking for, um, you know, magic uh, keys, quick fix, easy steps, effortless solutions. It's like, you know, they want to just sprinkle these little granulars of an instant happy in their coffee every morning for the perfect life and happiness. It's like a little package of magic crystals. Boy, if we could invent that, huh? Pour it in your coffee, your day will go well. So people think that, you know, and I think a lot of beverage companies actually want people to believe that. Have you seen a couple of those where oh, they say happiness yeah. is? Open, and then, open happiness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you can drink and eat and wear and drive your way to happiness and fix your life. So That's you, kind of the lie. You can find happiness in what you do. Super sugary, fizzy, well, you know, the pro- water. But the problem is that these sugary things, they actually give you a little tiny buzz, a little tiny moment, split second of feeling peaceful or happy or good or safe or whatever. So all this advertising really plays into our Our dissatisfaction. Absolutely. Our discontent. So one of the ways we get around that rat race. What they're doing is they want to create discontentment with who we are Mm -hmm. and what we have. Well, godliness with contentment is great gain. So when we're going back to the truth, we got to know who we are and we got to know who God is, that he is good and and begin to rest in the contentment of knowing that God is our provider. Besides all this trying that we have and and, and all this dissatisfaction with ourselves that that so many of us have, then a lot of us have the idea that God is not good and he's mad at us. Well, that's a whole other show, honey. That's another show? Oh, my goodness. Okay. But it is important. (laughs) It's really important to know that because if you don't know that you're good, because God says you're good, you're going to try to be good. And trying to be good wears us out. And it, it, it wears us out to the point where we actually become vulnerable to using, um, you know, uppers and downers and, and chemicals and, and, and use our appetite as a way to bring comfort. And, um, you know, food is for nourishment. Food is not, you know, our, and it's a medicine. 
but it's not meant to be used as a mood-altering substance. Well, you know, the thing like is, too, is that... Many people you know, use it that way. Like, you know, that, the, the comfort food thing? Yeah. So what happens is that we're born into this, as you describe it, as the snake bit of life. Yeah. Like this this e- present evil world system. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we look to ourselves for solutions. And, and, and the world says, willpower, you know, interpersonal strength, do it yourself. It's up to you. Um, so we, you know, we go after that. And so, and there's, it's, it's kind of trite, but, but a lot of people say that we are, we, we've come into this world with a God-shaped vacuum within us that only he can fill, only that relationship with God can fulfill that, mm-hmm. that role that we're trying to, we're trying to fill this emptiness with food, success, materialism, mm-hmm. popularity, power, all that kind of yes. stuff. But only, only that relationship with God through Jesus Christ can fill that. Yeah, but what about, what about now I'll be the devil's advocate, and I don't okay. get paid anymore for being the devil's advocate here, but what about people who do love Jesus and they do have God and they're still struggling with a lot of these things like, um, you know, uh, losing weight or balancing their budget or trying to stay physically fit or being positive or, and, and all of these, these uh, temptations, can you believe these are temptations to take responsibility, to, to, to use your self, uh, willpower, self-control. These are actually temptations to step out of the place of rest and do it yourself. Right, and but there are a lot of Christian books out there that oh, yeah. self-help, well, help, self-help books, I would say there's a plethora of them. Okay, now it means there's a whole bunch of those okay. that are saying, here's what you've got to do. Here's five steps to this, three I know. steps to it's this, bad. three steps to that. It's and, not good. You know, so then, okay, I tried the five steps, and it sort of worked, and then yeah, I not really worked. Then I got a new book. Yeah. This this one has got only three steps. But what's it really doing to you when you keep reading those books? Tell me. It's wearing you out. Yeah, and where's wearing you out from? Where's exhaustion from? Heaven or hell? Well, exhaustion is from hell. Jesus sure. said, by their fruits you shall know them. So you reduce down your activities and see where they're coming from. So when it's up to me to do it myself, you know, or it's it's up to me and do it myself, what is that saying to God? When you say, as a Christian, um, what do you say? Well, it's up to me. I've got to do it myself. The world tells me to take responsibility. They throw a million opinions at me, and they say, it's up to you. If you want to do this, you can go after it, but it's up to you. And if you don't do it, you need to take responsibility. And if you don't, then it's your fault. What have they just done to you? Well, what have you just done to yourself? You, you've defeated yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the whole deal is that we're, as, as believers, we're trusting in the power of God to do these things. It is God, Paul said to the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say work for your salvation, yeah. but work it out, because mm-hmm. it, is, fear and it is God who mm-hmm. works in you to give you, to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, he's giving you the willingness and the power to uh, follow him. Follow him. Okay. So, so sometimes, the way I like to say it is that it's not our willpower, but it's our will in his power. That's right, because our will has no power. Our will has the capability of making a decision, but for many of us to carry it out, you really don't have as much power as you think you do. Our power is the power of surrendering, but we'll get to that in a minute. So we're talking about willpower and responsibility now. Um, there's another thing that's not, word that's not in the Bible is responsibility. Did you know that? Well, we, we act like it's in there. <laughs> You know, I mean, <laughs> have you ever seen it? Did you ever hear Jesus say to the disciples, "Okay, guys, you need to take responsibility for that behavior"? You know, I think a couple of the incidents where they were like, John and James wanted to call down fire 
on the Samaritans and, and Jesus, he didn't scold them and say, guys, you need to behave. You need to apologize to the group. You need to take responsibility for the way you acted today. He didn't say that. He just said, you know what? You have no idea what spirit you are of. You, know, you, know, you don't have any idea what spirit is controlling you, motivating you, that you're listening to that's tempting you right now to get mad at these people who don't have a clue. Okay, I want to throw a question at you. Oh, I'm scared. All right. No, you don't have to be scared. <laughs> um, so when the Lord tells us to do something, okay, we have, uh, do we have a responsibility to obey what the Lord has told us to do? That I would call that would I would call that faithfulness. God is faithful to us, and we um, are endeavoring by the spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, all this stuff that people want to do out there, quit doing this and stop doing that, and give up and quit smoking and doing this. You know, I have to tell you, I think I mentioned this before, but it's such an easy example. Forgive me if I repeat myself. I didn't say it yet tonight, anyway. I know that. That um, let's just say I had a, you know, I've had clients. Many people have come to me with various addictions and things they want to quit, and. Um, this guy came in one day in my office, and he wanted to quit smoking. And uh, so, I mean, he had done everything. He got the Nicorette gum he was chewing. He got the patch put on. He was doing the 1995 kid on TV where he can quit smoking in 10 days or less. And, and um, you know, he'd ask for counseling, for prayer. And um, then he stepped up. We finished the session. And uh, it was back in my early days, and he walked outside the office door, and I happened to walk out with him, and he lit up a cigarette. And I said, oh, um, you just told me you want to quit smoking, and I, I really believed you, and you put a lot of effort into it. So I'm just going to ask you one question. Who in there is smoking? Tell me you don't want to smoke, so who is that that's smoking? And I think we need to make that distinction, and that's where we're going to move into this place of Romans, where Paul is saying, if I am doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it, but back it up a minute. This Paul is the apostle, right? He, yeah, he's Apostle Paul, and you know, a lot of people, we, you know, we, we put him up, on, and he's a great man of God, but we put him on a pedestal. Yeah, well, listen, we think of saints having a lot of self-control, right? Yeah. And being uh, overpowering their fears, and et cetera, et cetera. But Paul is saying here, very candidly, he's saying, I'm doing things I don't want to do in Romans seven fourteen. He says, I don't want to do those things, but I'm, the things I hate, I do. And the things I, I do, I hate. The things I perform, I hate them. He says, it's the sin that dwells in me. In other words, he's saying, if Paul smoked, we'll just apply that, you know, example. He's saying, I can't quit smoking. I don't want to. I, I hate it. I, I don't want to do it anymore, but I'm doing it. Well, that's really, uh, isn't, that's, isn't that not the thing with addiction for the most part? There's people, a lot of people maybe like things for a while. You know, maybe they like the cigarette. It's, it's, well, they got, they're believing a lie. I mean, sure they are. They got lots of lies. They like it, and they get used to it, and they like it. But then a lot of times people, uh, if it's an addiction progresses, whether it's alcohol, it begins to control like drugs, you. pornography, anything like that, it's like, I want to quit. I hate it, but I still like it, right? mm-hmm. and I, I, I want to keep doing it. But I don't want to do it. But I don't want to so do I'm it. So I'm crazy. I'm divided. I'm, I'm, again, I'm set up in opposition yeah. to myself yeah. because I'm becoming my own, my own worst enemy. Yeah. And this is exactly what Paul says. He says, he says, there's a war going on inside of me, the one who wills to do good. There's a little demon in there, whatever, evil spirit, a, a program operating that wants me to smoke, and I don't want to smoke. But I, I need, he says, he says, if, he says um, this war going on inside of me, the one who wills to do good. He says, I want to do good. I agree with God. His law is good to the image of God. I love God. I know that. But there's a something going on in me that's not me that's doing to me stuff I don't want to do. It's like you're kidnapped. 
being held hostage and doing stuff, forced to be doing stuff you don't want to do. Is it something like sitting in a car, roaring your engine with a brake on? Well, you're, just, you're sitting there. You're not really going anywhere. Yeah, you're stuck. A lot of noise. Yeah. You're stuck. And you're wearing your engine out. You're not, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. So he was saying, as he said this, he said, okay, well, who will deliver me then from this body of death? Who will deliver? Who will get this thing out of me? And so many people don't look for deliverance in their addictions. They look for, they have to try harder, but then they set themselves up to fail and fail failures from hell, you know. They, they're looking for a, a what rather than a who. Right. Now, that's an important dis- distinction there. Oh, they're looking for a how, like you said earlier. Uh, how do I? Or a how do I? Mm-hmm. But, do I? you know, mm-hmm. he said there's a word there, deliver. Who will deliver me? That means take it out no, of me. Who will do it? Who, it's not how, what can I, he didn't say what can I do to overcome this. How much do I have to uh, work to to get done with this, you know, how, what, what do I have to do? Do I have to repent, mortify myself, fast more, pray more? Hey, maybe he's, you know, sometimes people, what they try to do is get rid of their thing, their their bondages. If I just pray more, read the Bible more. Now, it's not wrong to read more, to pray more, mm-hmm. uh, to fellowship with believers and stuff like that and receive prayer. That's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, he he's saying that that word there, deliver. What? Well, that means take it out of me, get it out of me, um, set me free. Who will deliver me from this bondage, this uh, body of death? So he needs somebody to, to set him free. Him from, yeah, and then you know, but see, as as he goes, this is the gospel that we miss. This is the one we don't get preached. This is the one that the, the that most of the church does not even know exists. Is the gospel of grace? We we hear the gospel of guilt. We hear the gospel of be good and um, try harder. We hear the gospel of um, uh, gossip. You know, it's a, you know we, we pe- people in the church, it's no, they gossip. They talk about each other. They make judgments. They throw opinions at each other. They're very critical of one another. This is not what Jesus said to be doing. Or we, do the, we have the gospel of give up. Give up. Just give up. You know, I can't do it. I can't be taken. But the gospel of grace is a gospel of it is finished. You say, well, that's just too easy. By the way, people, if you love to, call in, want to call in. Our number for tonight is 347 347-215-8051. 347-215-8051. We'd love to have your questions, especially if you um, have a specific um, trouble that you are wrestling with. We just love to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and call. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, I want to ask you about this word deliverance, Okay. Okay. Now that that can be a really scary word for a lot of people. Deliverance. What you know, a lot of people think, okay, is an exorcism here? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they saw the exorcist years ago, mm-hmm. or it's some wacky thing. You mean I have demons in me that I need to get rid of? How, well, how, I, I how have, do I do? That's it's kind of a mm-hmm. it's kind of a scary word. Well, you know, um, for a lot of people, yeah. Deliverance means really, you know, to, to separate, is to, to remove something. For example, when a person delivers a baby, that baby is delivered from that person. So it's a good thing. Uh, you, you can say when you go into surgery and they remove a tumor, you've been delivered of the tumor, they've removed that from you. Um, and when you get deprogrammed, that's a deliverance too because you're being delivered of that body of bad information. But can a Christian, I mean, in this case we're saying the, the source and origin 
of these these addictions, whatnot, is demonic. And so we're saying it's kind of the, the the question is, well, then can a Christian have a demon? Well, we need to understand a couple of things about our our beliefs in order to understand that question. You just let me finish the answer, so then you don't have to ask me the question that I'm probably going to answer in 10 seconds. Oh, I, well, <laughs> you don't know what the question is. Well, so. write it down. Keep okay. going. Keep okay. going. Right. I, I won't forget it. All right. So in English, the word, you know, can a Christian have a demon? Well, my easiest answer is can a Christian have a rat in their house? If a rat were a demon, can a Christian have a rat in their house? Does having a rat in your house make you a rat? Of course not. All right. So. But the Christians are believing and afraid that if they have a demon or a controlling spirit, a spirit of nicotine, a spirit of, of uh, gluttony, a spirit of um, perversion inside of them, that somehow that they are that spirit. They, they're or, a demon. Or, or they're not saved. Well, so if, they say, if I'm really saved now, the, yeah, I know. I, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. Right. I, I, I'm supposed to be a new creation here, but I'm still struggling with all this yeah. stuff. Well, we're going to probably talk a little bit more about if I'm, sta- if, if I'm saved, why am I still sinning next week? But going back to the word possession, in English it has three different meanings. It means to own, occupy, and control. You can, for example, you can own something that you don't occupy. Like you can be the landlord, you can own that building, but you don't live in it. You can be the renter, you can occupy it, but not own it. Or you can control something through occupation that you don't necessarily have a right to or own. For example, Hitler, you know, occupying all the countries of, you know, Poland and stuff like that. He had control over them. So when you're talking about possession, a better word, you know, in English we translate the word possession, but in in Greek it's more of a word of demonization. And, you know, what happens is the enemy has, like we've talked a couple of weeks ago, the enemy has programmed us through the fall, through original sin, to believe lies. And the lies are that I'm bad and I need to regain my position of goodness by doing things. And Jesus said, you can't do it. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. Um, and so he said, accept my blood. That's it. It's grace. It's goodness. It's, it's a free gift. And people go back to trying to earn it. But when you go with the word possession, um, and people are freaking out that they could have a demon. Um, they can't. They can't. They, they think we're owned, you know, by God and the devil. You can only be owned by one. So when you get saved, your ownership transfers from darkness to light, to the kingdom of light. You can still, however, you can buy a house, you can own the house, and the house is still full of bats and rats. They've got to be taken out. Now the owner can go after them and get the exterminator out there and put the poison out and get the traps and do what he has to do to get those things, or he can live with them. Now, Jesus Christ is the landlord, so to speak, but we also are joint occupants of the house, the temple. And so with his help, either through the Holy Spirit, he's going to start to sanctify us. Now, salvation and sanctification are not the same thing. Sanctification is basically deprogramming, getting all the junk, the lies, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's getting the lies out, being made whole and holy. And this is a process. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. But even as in Ephesians chapter 1, we're seated with Christ. Once you get saved, your, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're still, you're still sitting in the rush hour traffic. You're still sitting in the dentist's office, and those aren't necessarily heavenly places. So you actually have two places of residence, two dimensions that we're living in, two realities, so to speak. And so this process of the spiritual life, the Holy Spirit sanctifying it, is a process of getting out the lies. Now, people 
say, well, if I do bad things, I must be bad. That is a, that's not a correct logical conclusion. A lot of people do bad things. Um, your kids do bad things, right? Does that mean they're bad? Does that mean you'll throw them away and not have anything more to do with them, stop loving them, cut them off, be, go, be done with them? Well, if our, you know, our kids do bad things, they're still our kids. Mm-hmm. They still got our genes and our DNA. And you're not going to throw them away. And that's the same no. with God. So the thing is, but we're so uptight because we just are, we're so anxious down here. There's so much danger that the only way you can really live in this earth, and a lot of people use their, their foods and their, their medications and their things as opiates, as a way to cope with pain or fear or stress or anxiety, panic, you know, because they don't know that they're safe in God and, and God is with them. Okay, you're talking about the difference now, they're talking about the difference between salvation mm-hmm. and sanctification. Mm-hmm. Sanctification, that's a big word. Uh, it's a big so, theologically sounding word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but a lot of people, it, and basically what it means is to be set apart mm-hmm. uh, from from sin. On, or uh, made holy. Made holy, mm-hmm. devoted, fully devoted to the Lord. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, though, we get the idea that we're saved by grace through faith, mm-hmm. but we're sanctified by our works. Mm. How would you address that? Well, that's a good question. Now you're now you're nailing me to the wall. Okay, how do you? Okay, so what what are works? Do you get saved by works? No. All right. So you got saved by what? By grace through faith. All right. So you're now abiding in Christ. He's the vine. You're the branch. Right. Yep. Out of that abiding relationship comes what? Fruit. fruit. Okay. So the fruit, fruit could, spirit. Okay. The fruit can look like love, joy, peace, happiness, good works, um, mm-hmm. kindness, da da da. Okay. So those are also works, but they're the works of righteousness. They're the, they're, they're the fruit of of the of love. They're the fruit of the spirit. Right. Not the fruit of our own efforts. And, and that, it, yes. it's like, mm-hmm. and it sounds like without sounding too uh, woo woo about it, but it's the life of Jesus. Living with us, because when we come to receive Christ by faith, He comes to dwell in our hearts. The Holy Spirit mm-hmm. is present. The simple gospel. The, the Holy Spirit is present, and then the character, really, the fruit of the Spirit, really is the characteristics of God, the, the fruit of God. Not, not, you know, not we're not omnipotent or anything like that. Not that kind of characters. But as far as the character of God is expressed through us, through the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, we're like the carriers of God. We're like the, you know. And we just let the Spirit of God flow through. So if you have a problem, like say you have a problem with overeating, or you have a problem with, you know, worrying, or you have a problem with, say, you know, um, I don't know, not liking yourself, for example, all of these problems are on the Holy Spirit's list, and he's going to work them out, he's working them out, but he has to get you to the place where you recognize the lie. Now, I'm going back to Paul for a second. Paul says, you know, I'm doing things I don't want to do. It's not me doing it. It's, you know, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, um, I thank God through Jesus Christ. There is now, therefore, no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So if we take that apart and look at it a little bit, we realize that there are two operating systems now available to the Christian, the believer, the follower in Jesus. It says for, there's now, therefore, that's right now. That doesn't mean when you finally get it all perfect, it's now. Right now, sitting here in your little imperfect state, you are still um, saved. You're, it's not a false conversion. You're, you're with God. Now, 
there, you have to accept Jesus, of course, to get to that place of being in Christ. But when you're in Christ and you have two choices, you can either go back to using the old soul software, which is the body of death, which is full of all the lies and the programs and the addictions and the spirits of nicotine and, and self-condemnation, hatred and failure and um, whatever, whatever. Or you can switch over and use the spirit software, which is um, where the Holy Spirit downloads his spirit revelation to our spirit so that we can know. We don't have to think and feel and fumble around and try to fix it and, and hide out and feel ashamed. Um, we can walk in the place of, of confidence and knowing who we are. This is a wonderful place to walk. Not that we're know-it-alls, but that we come to the place where, you know what, I know this. It's not my problem. The Holy Spirit's working on that problem. I'm cooperating with him. And for people who have been beat up or beat themselves up all their life, you know, like a lot of people worn out trying to fight their own personal demons, whether it's sugar cravings or sex or perfection, or, and it drives them mad. It makes them angry and frustrated, and they begin to hate themselves. And so then they start to hear themselves with this inner dialogue of, against themselves, you know, con, you know, constant correction. Have you ever talked to yourself and you say, oh, I'm so stupid, what was I thinking? I've I got to get my act together. This, this, this is actually a demon talking to us in, the, in the impersonating us to ourselves, believe it or not, just condescending, condemning, uh, nitpicky, uh, uh, harassing demon, questioning our worth, questioning our capabilities, questioning our decisions. And people don't realize that. They think this is a good thing. This is this is a this spirit is to undermine you, not to help you. He's a counselor to help you go to hell. He's a counselor to, to, to wear you out. He's a counselor from hell, and you have the Holy Spirit in you too. The Holy Spirit's not going to say you're stupid, you're an idiot, you sinned again. I'm going to give up on you. Why don't you just forget it? You know, you're not going to make it. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. But go ahead. No, this uh, this whole concept of walking in the spirit that might sound really woo woo. That how how in the world do I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, well, how, you know, how do I walk in okay, how the, do I walk in the spirit? And and uh, let's then uh, you respond to this one, and then I got another question closely related to that. Okay, so be ready. Okay, walking in the spirit. How do I walk in the spirit? Well, first of all, you cannot walk in the spirit without the Holy Spirit living in you. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we surrender to Jesus Christ. So the key to freedom is actually to quit trying to fight your own battles, surrender your life, give it up. You know, instead of killing yourself, if you're going to get, this may sound very, very harsh, but a lot of people are ready to just end their lives because they're so, they hate their sin so much that they don't know how to get rid of it other than just kill themselves. If you're so ready to give up your life, then give it up to Jesus and see what he can do with it. You know what I'm saying? Rather than, destroy it, give it to God. That's because that's really what salvation is. It's like you surrender, you die to your old man, your old self, your old ways, your old agenda, your goals, your whatever, and you become alive again, reborn into the kingdom of God. So the Holy Spirit then immediately comes to dwell in you. Whether or not you're speaking in tongues, doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and he begins the reconstruction of you, the redemption of you, the restoration, the reprogramming of your life. And if people would understand that, they wouldn't have to put up with so much uh, unnecessary pain and harassment in their life. Right, let, me, let me ask you this. Uh, what about how do you determine the difference between the voice of the, the Satan? Because Satan is transformed as an angel of light. Yeah. He uses scriptures he can sound smooth. He can sound so good and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and now the, and the Holy Spirit, of course, is, it, it speaks as well. Mm-hmm. So, so we've got we've got this we've got Satan speaking, 
mm-hmm. to us. As if you were the Holy Spirit. As if you were the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. So, and then we get the Holy Spirit speaking to us. How do we sort that out? What's, we don't, the, difference? What's we, the difference between, uh, I mean, yeah, I got it. how do we make sure that we're walking in the Spirit? Well, first of all, going back again to the fruit. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. The simple test is, where is this from, heaven or hell? There's not a third kingdom of myself or my flesh. I don't have a kingdom. I will end up in one of those other kingdoms. So everything has to sort out to either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. Okay, so you've got the fruit situation. Also, if you know the word of God, if you know the real, then the counterfeit is going to be more apparent to you. If you know how the Holy Spirit speaks, if you know what he says and would say, if you're, you know, and the only way you can do that is read the word. You have to read the word. You have to, it's like studying the real, studying the real, studying the real. And then pretty soon it's easy to see the counterfeits. But I got to tell you something, the Holy Spirit does not just impersonate God to us. He impersonates us to ourselves. And this is in, in Matthew 12 and Luke 11. Now, this is the spirit of Satan, now you're saying. Yeah, the, de- the devil. The, the, the devil. The, yeah, okay. the, he comes as the strong man or stronger man to take over our house. Jesus talked about him as the, strong, the stronger man. He says, when a strong man fully armed guards his house, his things are safe and his possessions are safe. But when one stronger than him comes to take over his house, he, he plunders his house. Okay, and so Satan has come in, and the only way he can get in to set up the war is to set up an opposition. So he has to set me up in opposition to myself. And that's Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty-four, five, and six, where he sets me up in opposition to myself. By the way, that's old King James, and he gets the war to go on between my soul, spirit. So my soul, my old programming, my old thinking, my old uh, addictions, my old cravings are are. Uh, vying for power, lobbying against my spirit, trying to set out their debates, their arguments. And you know what we do? We try to argue with them. We try to explain things to the devil. We try, you know, forget it. Just tell him to shut up. Tell him to go to hell because he cannot be, he's too wily. He, he can, he's very intellectual. You, you bring a scripture, he'll bring a scripture. You fight him with this, he'll fight you right back. You just need to use the authority God's given you to tell the devil, you know, submit to God, resist the devil. You can't, our, our, that's our will. Our will is to resist him. That's, and then God enforces that power so that when people are, let's go back to some specifics. Um, you know, when Paul is saying he's doing the things he doesn't want to do, um, you know, we need to get back to the lies. So we have the surrender. We have to realize the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and he will take you back to the lies. Let's look at some lies. I'm going to just kind of use a, an example, one that maybe a lot of few, few people are. Um, let's talk about money. <laughs> Um, okay, so, um, you know, people sometimes, they, they, they've got problems with money, obviously. Money can be, you know, you have a spending addiction or a shopaholic or, you know, you can't, you know, seem to balance your budget. You kind of, um, you know, go over the, you know, over the edge with spending. And, can, I, can I share a little poem about money? Sure. Just to lighten things up a little bit. Sure. It's an old poem, and people, people think my sense of humor is kind of yeah. fuzzy, but... We won't judge you, honey. We won't judge you. There's a little poem that says, uh, Money talks, I can't deny. I heard it once, it said goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, money becomes, money is um, the god of this world. That's the, the, you know, the exchange is money and power. And so when he wants to hurt someone, he really tries to, 
take away their money. And one of the, the things he does with Christians, for example, is make them to believe they have to have all these things in order to be something or to be happy or to be... And he hooks um, in an image and, and success with the amount of money that you have, and then that goes back to discontentment. And so what, when we look at this, we think, okay, I'm, I'm spending too much money, uh, or maybe um, I don't want to admit that I'm spending too much. Maybe your wife is after you because you're spending too much money, and but she doesn't dare talk to you because the minute she starts talking to you about money and how you, you spend def- it, you get defensive. Yeah, right. And so she's trying to, you know, you know, keep you from using the credit cards and trying to save and scrimp and scrimp the money. Just, you know, this is an example. And so you get defensive. So what happens when somebody gets defensive and somebody else approaches them? What happens? Well, you, they, they they blame somebody else. They blame. Yeah. You know, so yeah. they blame and says, who, are, who do you think you are? Yeah. Or, you know, if somebody tries to correct us, we try to find fault. We don't want to, we don't want to own. If, if it's true, we don't want to own it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we will point out mm-hmm. maybe faults in them. Yeah. So it's kind of like we've got to come to the, if we're really serious about, I mean, you can defend yourself until you're blue in the face until, but really what you're doing, bottom line, you're defending demons. You're letting the demons defend demons and you're, you're, you're voting with them because you're not, you're, denial is a demon. Um, blaming is a demon. Guilting, pointing the finger, um, condemnation, discontentment, all of these are spirits that, come from the kingdom of darkness. Um, so here's a couple of lies that this guy might be believing. Um, and, and we're all set up with lies. Don't, don't think you've been, um, you've missed the pit. Everybody got thrown into the pit. Different pits, different lies, but basically the same outcomes. Okay, um, one of the lies is lack, lack, L-A-C-K, lack may tell you you're never going to have enough. So you're going to have to, and if I don't have enough, then what? What happens if I don't have enough? Well, I'm just not going to make it, and uh, I have to I have to be afraid because there's some bad consequences coming right, my right. way. Okay, so so discontent, fear of not going to make it, lack, um, and sometimes people think that if they have stuff, it'll make them feel better, and so to lighten their mood or to you know to get the party spirit, they kind of want to do the drugs, the, the, buy the new thing, buying kind of helps people feel better sometimes. I, I, and so all of these false promises that this is a way to feel good, feel better. Um, you know, lift and boost your image, um, all become traps that we use to go after things. And, you know, a lot of times people use money or drugs as well to get rid of pain, you know. Um, so in our society, it, it, it says that, you know, you have to have in order to be. Right, exactly. You have to get all this stuff, then you can be somebody. Now, you know, somebody will, you know, if somebody's going to get defensive, they're, they're, then they're not going to want to admit Admitting is the key to victory, excuse me, but denying is the key to uh, going deeper into the pit. So um, um, people might might say, um, on the other side of that coin, people might say, well, I'll never get it right. I'm always wrong. Um, I've got to have it. What will people think? Everybody else is doing it. Uh, Everybody else has got one. It makes me feel good, makes me feel powerful in control. But when you don't receive correction, when you deny you know, people say, like, I don't have a problem. You have a problem with my spending or my drink. They're blaming it back onto the other person because we cannot admit that we're wrong and that we need help. And this is, this is another step. Surrendering, like, you know, in the first step of the 12 steps is admit that you're powerless, right? I need help. 
So you can't get help and you can't get out of anything until you admit you have a problem. But now, here's the problem. People admit they have a problem. Some do, some don't. But when you admit you have a problem, then you're going to look for all the world's solutions to fix the problem. i got to lose five pounds, so I'm going to do these diet pills. i got to, you know, I'm going to... Um, you know, try to, you know, make some money so I'm going to do all these schemes and all this whatever, whatever. So you're, you're very vulnerable at that point once you recognize you're a problem. You take some really bad advice. Uh, just a, a question here. Say if somebody is correcting you about something, mm-hmm. uh, what's it, sometimes people are just accusing you of stuff falsely. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people are genuinely correcting you. And uh, how do you sort that out? So you mean like being defensive, defending your honor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If somebody's saying something to correct you, it, you know, and it's like, okay, what they're saying to me, is this true? Is this something I need to look at? Is it just an accusation or is it is it something that's given well, the first of all, of love so that I, I can, you know, be corrected and changed? Well, first of all, I would consider the source. If it's coming from an arch enemy, I wouldn't, you know, you know, it's probably an accusation. When it's coming from some, when you, your wife, your husband, or someone you love, maybe when your children, I mean, if we're willing to listen uh, and they love us enough to take the risk to tell us, then we maybe should reflect on it. There could be some truth to that. Actually, there's a lot of truth to things that people say about us. It's maybe not all true, but you ask the Lord, okay, what part of this is true? What part of this yeah. is, is my, for my correction? Humbling yourself, and then don't get defensive because, let God defend you. And that's the thing, too, is that in those, in those moments, whether it's accusation or correction or however it is, mm-hmm. as it comes at you, it's, it's something you really need to look at and say, Lord, is this something that you're wanting to change in me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, most people actually don't care about that. They, they really, I mean, seriously, I'm sorry to say this, and this may be a judgment, but most people are kind of like thinking, it's, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm on my own anyway. But listen, let's take a quick break here and, and listen to some information about cravings um, and why I'm doing what I don't want to do. I want it and I want it now. Chocolate. A juicy burger with everything. A turtle brownie latte overload. A cold beer. That guy over there. That lady at the counter. Cravings. Intense desires that demand satisfaction often rule our lives. Our cravings have formed habits we can't break, even though they are breaking us. The more we try to take control of our lives, the more out of control our lives become, and we end up doing more and more of what we really don't want to do. In Marjorie Cole's Cravings Manual or CD, you will find rock-solid answers to your dilemma. No more crazy diets, guilt, denial, white-knuckling, or endless frustration. Just a release of truth from the book of Romans that will set you on the path to freedom you never thought you'd have. To receive your copy or CD of Cravings, just go to www.liferecovery.com. That's www.liferecovery.com. Okay, so liferecovery.com. We've got a lot of stuff out there on eating to live, living to eat, addictions, cravings, um, eating for spiritual health, all kinds of things that really have taught, and, you know, like Who Am I is another CD out there. Um, all of these are available in our store. Uh, we, we've talked to a lot of people, and these are kind of taking things from out of the Word of God and applying them to our needs and our lives. Um, but going back to this, this issue of defensiveness, I think, you know, 
this is a, if I can say this, I, I think I will say this. Defensive, being defensive is usually prompted by a demon. Jesus never defended himself when he was in the, um, in the you know, Pilate's judgment hall. Because what happens when people get defensive is they take it as a personal assault or an insult. They take it as, they take it personally. And when we take something personally, we get offended. And when we get offended, we, we feel like I have to defend myself and, and get mad and, and set the record straight and everything. So when we get defensive, I think we really get blind. Um, we're not teachable at that moment. We're not humble. We're not humbling ourselves. We're not admitting we're, we're wrong. We don't repent. And everything begins with repentance. Everything begins. Because why? Because we're so evil? No, but because we've been so mucked up in the pit. You know, we've got to change our mind. We've got to confess the sins. And this is why we're aliens and strangers and a lot of times from God because, um, and wonder why things are so bad in our life because we have just wandered away. We think God is mean. God is mad at you. God is not mad at you. The devil's convinced you that God is mad at you so that you'll stay away from coming to the Lord to be helped and encouraged. Okay. Regarding repentance, it sounds a lot like penance. Now, a lot of people think of, Repentance as penance. Well, How would you uh, well, repent- respond to that? Repentance means to change your mind. Penance means to, you know, make up for something. You know, um, you have to suffer a certain amount. It's like trying to rebalance the scales of, you know, good in this. When, when Jesus, you know, became the sacrifice for us, took the punishment for us, and, we, and freely he said, when you sin, come to me, repent, confess, forgive and you know you're restored it's not like we have to grind our way back and start again at the beginning um flog ourselves and do all these religious things it's just a bunch more demonic works that that cause people to feel like they're bearing a cross that probably they don't even need to bear for the most part i don't, i'm not saying that those who live godly in christ jesus aren't going to suffer persecution i mean that's also there but what i'm saying is i think for a lot of us you know when you when you get, when you allow the spirit of defensiveness, for example, um, and or penance or religion or any of them to counsel you and you take their advice, you become controlled by those things. And let's just look at this again. I mean, this, this thing of defensiveness is super bad in, in breaking up marriages. Let's just say that, you know, we're talking codependency, we're talking, a, um, a, you know, an, an addiction in the middle of the family, there's this person doing something that's out of control. They're being controlled by a spirit of addiction or spending or gambling or whatever, and everybody is controlled by it. Everybody is influenced by it. Everybody is affected by it from everybody. I mean, every member of the family is controlled and influenced and affected by this demon controlling one person. So when one demon is controlling a person, then the, um, the other person is going to try to respond by, you know, protecting themselves or trying to um, plead with the other person to stop it or get some help or um, separate from them or, you know, give ultimatums. But nobody is willing to say, you know, I need help. But if, even if people do need help, here's, the, here's another bad thing. You say, okay, 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 I'll go to treatment, I'll get, I'll get some help. But you go to treatment and then, they make it all your fault and you're responsible for it. But again, it's, it's the demon. Nobody says, well, you know what? We need to get that demon out of you. You know, um, When you go to the doctor and you have cancer, they don't say, well, it's your fault. You have cancer. You're a bad person. They say, well, we need to get that tumor out of you. you know? They don't make a judgment on you. But when, but, and that's good. 
But when you go into treatment, you know, they say, well, it's a disease and everybody's got, you know, problems and um, it's not your fault. But the minute you get in there, they flip the story on you and they're making you toe the mark and take responsibility and try harder to quit. So they're refeeding you with a, a program uh, that doesn't work. But back to taking personal responsibility, if you will, personal admitting uh, that, that you're believing a lie and asking the Lord, well, what is the lie I'm believing that causes me to use? What is the lie? And if anybody has wants to call in about working with a situation, whether yours or a friend or whatever, give us a call um, because we'd love to talk with you. I know some of you are going to be hearing us through the archives, but our number, for those of you who are listening live, is 347-215-8051. And don't be afraid to call us. It might be just the very question that somebody else might wants to um, wants to ask. So, and again, when you're going back to defensiveness, though, it, it all goes back to reflecting on me. Who am I? How do I look? You know, this makes me look bad. And then sometimes when people get in a conversation that's you know touchy like that, they'll try to you know, divert or change the subject. They won't stay on the on the topic. They'll they'll pull in something else like well, if you know you know you did this or pull in some other subject to get blame put on someone else so that they can um, take the pressure off themselves. Uh, These are all demonic, uh, you know, maneuverings through conversations, mm-hmm. if you've ever noticed. Mm-hmm. So with, with defensiveness, though, I mean, if, if someone is, is coming to you uh, in, in, in good faith, they're just, you know, pointing out something that maybe you don't see. You know, sometimes, a lot of times, uh, people have a perspective on who we are, what we're doing, that we don't have for ourselves, okay? So when they come and share that with us mm-hmm. and uh, we just get defensive, what, what's the effect of that defensiveness? Do we, we just kind of dig ourselves in deeper? Mm-hmm. We don't change? What, what, what complicates? Well, what, are the, what are the effects of us? Where it's kind of like, it's like defensiveness is like a shield. I mean, things are coming at us. People are... Uh, giving us giving yeah. us food and we're just throwing it back in their faces and and starving to death. Well, yes, yeah, exactly right. And that stuff that we're starving for is love. But you know, it's, it, com- conversations, communication is all about safety. And when you love someone, you want to want to tell them, be free, safe to talk to them. You know, without getting your head bit off. Well, what happens is, you know, each person is probably going to give it about three tries. You know, in the early parts of a, of a relationship, you'll, you'll try three different times or four times maybe to bring up a subject. But if you get shut down, um, slammed, uh, you know, the other person blows up or whatever, you will stop taking the risk of telling, uh, confronting, telling the truth or sharing your heart with that person. So the door is beginning to close on having an open relationship with them. But going back to defensive, some people may, may believe the lie. What's the lie defensive would tell you? Tell you? I'm on my own. I can't trust anybody. Um, there's nobody there for me. I've got to take care of myself. Um, um, Another thing is that, you know, I know I've got all kinds of faults, and now you're pointing them out, pointing, out, pointing them out, and, and I've got more to do, and then I've got to, more to do more to do to try to yep. try. Yeah, so there you're going back into the pit and digging it deeper. You know, the devil's just giving you a shovel to dig your own pit deeper, more to do. So actually, so when we go after someone to share with them about, you know, what we see is going on, it it can be dangerous in that it actually 
sends them the opposite direction, going further away and more into the, their own lies and frustrations. So it's only really love, fearless love, that will pull someone out of the pit. And that fearless love means you are willing to take the risk, and it's not about you, and it's really not about them, but our whole life has been, we've been trained to believe everything that happens to me is about me. You know, my experiences, my, um, my thoughts, my, you know, my reactions, uh, my perceptions, my opinions, they're all sacred, they're all me. Um, not ever realizing that a lot of stuff that we think is us is just the enemy trying to, to reshape us or program us. So correction is easier to be received when it's presented in a context of love. And relationship, and right. relationship. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there, when there's a good relationship, and it's like, you know, we're friends and, and, and there, there's a good communication. Well, it's in the, in the context of hope and not right. panicking. I think right. what happens is when we, you know, feel like we're not being heard and that's, everybody's got lies. So the person who's trying to make their point is probably coming up against a demon of, of I have no voice, I'm never listened to, I'm never heard, I give up, you know, I, they won't listen to me. Those kinds of lies were programmed into them. So when you're coming into this very touchy situation and the demons are working through both humans to set up an opposition, to set up a problem, um, not realizing that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. We become enemies. We become humans, become enemies. We, humans need to bind together and become, uh, you know, united as one against the enemy who is the devil. But, um, so we, we, we have all kinds of things that we do if we don't blame the other person. We maybe, uh, And sometimes we've advocated. For example, we set people up, like say that, um, you know, for example, keeping the checkbook or w- watching over the family. Maybe someone has, has walked out or given up or they're too busy with their um, chemicals, their use of chemicals or booze or whatever. They're not there. So by virtue of, of walking out, you force the other person to take on a role that is not necessarily their role to take on. And then when they, when they try to do that role, um, you know, get the kids to school on time, balance the checkbook. Um, they get, you know, they get in trouble by the one who's advocated because he's feeling or she's feeling guilty. And so they put more blame and condemnation on the person who's not maybe perfect, right, who's had to pick up the slack. So if you are really living with this spirit of defensiveness, it's really very difficult for you to have a good, healthy relationship with anybody exactly with you know your co-workers your you know spouse children yes whoever i mean it, it just really it just mm-hmm. really it shuts the door well you know and then having a healthy relationship yeah and then you throw in the fear the fear can be playing from both in, in within both people and the fear says i need to take charge i need to control i can't trust them it's up to me and then they become um you know, very manipulative or they can become very difficult to deal with or reject, uh, stubborn. And so we have, then we have, you know, a lot of witchcraft going on there, manipulating people to feel guilty or do what we want to do. It's just a mess. Most relationships are just a nest of problems and pain and uh, and addictions and everything is all woven in there. And the only one who's able to sort that out and and make all things new is um, the Holy Spirit. And yet most of us don't give him a chance or we give him 20 seconds to fix it. And if he doesn't come up with something in 20 seconds, we're back to our old, you know, do it myself kind of a deal. So what role does uh, our pride have to do with all this? Well, I think pride is a, um, 
covers fear. I think fear is the bottom line. It's that shame thing in the garden. The first thing that happened was they became ashamed. And the first thing that happens to us in Romans 10, 13, when we get saved, is it, it says we'll not be ashamed. Um, those who are call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They will not be ashamed. So God takes away that shame. Shame is the demon who lies to say, I am bad. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Don't look at me. I don't want you to know me. If you know me and for who I really am, you're going to reject me. So shame is, a, is a, trying to get you to agree that you are bad. And guilt says, I did something bad. So guilt and shame are kind of buddies. I'm bad because I did something bad or I'm bad because something bad happened to me. Um, I'm bad because God doesn't love me, because bad things are happening to me. All these ways the devil's trying to convince us that we're bad and that God is bad. That's his main goal is to get us to believe that God is not good and that we are bad. Now this is something that may be uh, a little novel to some people, that, that you're saying that fear is at the root of pride. Right, because fear um, covers up. Pride covers up for fear. Pride, you know, look at my rings, look at my new car, look at my success, look at my, you know, tailor-made whatever, look at my, um, but don't look at me. And I don't need you, I don't need anybody. And pride is kind of arrogant, obnoxious. And in that way, it keeps people from entering closer, unless they should, you know, get to know you at the depth of who you are. But only love will persist at the gate until you are willing to let them in. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things, endures all things, and love waits. Love is patient and kind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So another part of pride, too, there's the arrogant side of pride, but then there's the dirtball side of pride. Yeah, the false like, humility. Where we right. just think, oh, I'm just, I'm so nothing, uh, I'm just a zero, I'm mm-hmm. a failure, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it, basically pride is just simply preoccupation with ourselves. Absolutely. And, you know, undue occupation with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Pointless. Worthless futility and being preoccupied with ourselves because I can of my own self do nothing, mm-hmm. Jesus said. And he said that of himself. And he didn't say that because he was worthless. He didn't say that because of false humility. He said that because it's the truth. But false humility and, you know, I'm so bad, I'm, you know, I'm a worm. Uh, you know, that is, like you said, the pre- pride. Yeah, it is pride. It's, uh, it's false humility. Uh, and it's not any better than arrogance, really. I mean, it's just kind of the backside of the same coin. So, and then sometimes people will get, you know, um, if they fail to take the right action, they make a mistake, you know, make a wrong, make a wrong decision. They become um, passive. They become aggressive. They become mad. They get mad at someone else. They throw their, their fit. Um, yeah. So it, be, it just becomes a kind of a, um, a go around with. Okay. So it, does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it sure does. And so you really, you know. If you're, well, it's pretty hard. You, you're going to resist repentance, aren't you? If you're, well, if you're insecure. If you're insecure mm-hmm. and, and preoccupied. Now, the, the beauty of, of following Christ or Christianity mm-hmm. is that we get a preoccupation with Jesus. Well, in our righteousness. And that's healthy. Hey, our, it's, our righteousness is settled. It, it's, it's established. It's all settled. Okay, yeah, we've got a caller. We have a caller. Okay. All right, so. You can uh, hook us up there, Missy. Hello. Hello. Hi. And how are you tonight? I'm good. I'm good. good. I've been listening and um, just talking about the defensiveness and the 
um, not believing who you are and mm-hmm. um, just the, uh, I guess I would say, like walking in resentment and retaliation and not believing mm-hmm. you're good enough. And I know you were just talking about um, how that would be pride. Yeah. So, and a lot of people that I've I've um, counseled with, and um, just that that is their main issue. I mean, I could go down mm-hmm. the line and say that is the biggest barrier. Biggest. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, getting. So, how do the, you? What, so, yeah. So what what is your question? How what do you do? Do you get how do you get to the root of like say for example retaliation or resentment? Or what what would you ask us? That's, I guess that that would be the the question is you know how do you get to that that root of why you would re- retaliate? Why you would be in resentment and the hurt? Well, I mean, and I know it's the hurt in their heart. Um, but what if people don't want to go there? And what if, you know, yeah. taking authority over that? Okay. Well, let me let me just use the word. I like that you brought up the word retaliation and resentment. Um, they're negative words, obviously, and they're very, very difficult to live with. Um, and I know a lot of couples, for example, who get divorced because of retaliation and resentment. But going back to the original, we always go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created us to love justice and hate, iniquity, or injustice. And the injustices that are in the world are just, you know, countless. And so when mm-hmm. people are feeling that they're, they're, they've been wronged somehow, then mm-hmm. there's, there, it's a natural, God-given kind of a response to correct the system, correct the balances, make it right, make it fair. And that's why people get angry. Anger is really just energy and a sensitivity to the injustice, and it's a desire motivation divine actually desire to fix something to make it right make it fair and you know a lot of people are very black and white and that's a childish kind of a a way to look at life you know you know you measure the cookies out you measure out the size you measure out the length the amount of uh, liquid in the glass everybody gets the same amount because we have to have everything fair 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 and so Mm -hmm. we see a lot of kids like that but i think kids people who are um stunted in their growth like say maybe they're three four years old and they have this horrible thing happened to them, whatever it might be, this traumatic event, they kind of stay stuck there. That's one thing. So they don't move past that into the place of knowing um, forgiveness and justice and trusting God for for justice. So they take matters into their own hands. And so you see this a lot in adults where, you know, um, you know, he's going to make her pay. They get the divorce, but he's going to make her, you know, um, you know, he's going to just get everything out of her he possibly can or, or vice versa. She's going to just take everything from him she can. She's just, in some ways, it's like, I can't be wrong. You have to be wrong. I can't be wrong. If I'm wrong, then I'm not right. And if I'm not right, then I'm wrong. And I can't be wrong. But that goes back again to divine nature. So we, we don't mm-hmm. want to be wrong. We want to be right. We don't want to, we want justice. And so we're trying to get all these things ourselves and that goes back to trying and hurting people and controlling people and um, it does not work it just it just makes things worse because there's never an end you know it's mm-hmm. never enough it's never there's never enough justice there's never a you know final thing that resolves all now we're fair now we're even it's, it's, it's you have 12 uh events on your on your card and i've got 12 on mine so now we're even so let's stop no we just keep the devil just keeps setting up 
these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So what do you uh what what kind of things do you see that this does then in your people when they can't recognize retaliation, resentment, bitterness as a demon? Oh, or as a lie. I mean, they can't get to the lie. Well when when they can't get to the lie, what I've what I've found is that then it's like they're never they're never gonna change, so I might as well just mm-hmm. give up. Right, that's, that's the other, yeah, yeah. But see, the thing is, that's another gospel. It's the gospel of guilt. Be good. Be good. Mm-hmm. If you can't be good, then you get guilty. If you get guilty, then you might as well give up. And then you just mm-hmm. gossip about everybody else and get resent. Again, the lies of retaliation, resentment are, I've got to get even. I've got, it's got to be, it's got to be fair. It's not fair, I think, is a better way to look at that. And so they're mm-hmm. gonna, they're feeling obligated to make the other person pay, prove that they are right. And, mm-hmm. you know, what is, where does that get you when you prove that you're right? What do you really get? I mean, is it worth it? No. Doesn't Jesus no. Christ already know the truth about who we are? Does mm-hmm. it matter that, that Pilate and those guys, they never believed Jesus was right at the time. Mm-hmm. None of them did. And, mm-hmm. and what, would, what, what could Jesus have said to them? I mean, what was the point to prove here? The point was he was destined to go to the throne and through the cross, you know, and he mm-hmm. wasn't going to be doing that. And, you know, he knew who he was. But I think the problem is insecurity. Your people are people, they don't know who they are, and they don't know the great love that God has for them. And so they're, they're trying to get um, other things to fill in that love. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense, yes. Okay. Yeah. So is there any, but, yeah, go ahead. Well, another thing is, you know, getting, getting to that root with, you know, for Jesus to take them back to that original place, um, yeah. When they don't want to go there because of all the hurt that mm-hmm. that is is there, that it's um, it, it's like they're stuck. So it's a yeah. It's the end. It's the enemy that's mm-hmm. continuing to keep them stuck. But mm-hmm. to get to you know, and and I know it's to pray for that person, but it mm-hmm. it's. Um, for them to be able to see it for themselves that yeah. they're loved, they're you know they are in Christ. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess the the other the main question I want to ask is: Is anybody like gone too far that they can't get to that place? Well, not if they're still alive. But the, the okay. thing is, a lot of people have um, as long as there's life, there's hope. And as long as mm-hmm. there's the Holy Spirit, there's hope. And, um, you know, first of all, if you're talking about someone who doesn't have Jesus, then that's the first step to any freedom at all is mm-hmm. to get saved, to get Jesus coming into their life. And then mm-hmm. after that, the, the perfect love as we go through this begins to cast out fear. And as, as you talked about going, people are afraid to go back to a traumatic place because of fear or because of pain or trauma. That is mm-hmm. a gatekeeper. That's a demonic gatekeeper okay. who is guarding that place of pain because that is a, a sacred place of uh, where the enemy controls and he doesn't want to give that up. So he's going to guard that with fear and threats and, um, you know, resistance so that people don't want to go there and look at that. So when I work with people and going to those inner wounds and places of wounding, um, what we do is we, uh, we bind those spirits, the gatekeepers, the, the spirits of fear, we bind them. We forbid them to conduct their operation or, or continue their control. We take authority over them that the Lord has given us, 
And then as we also, on the other side of it, we make sure that the person knows that they are safe and Jesus Christ is with them and he is the wonderful counselor. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to, uh, when you're ministering in that way, to, you know, what Margie said about the Jesus is the wonderful counselor, that, they, that it's safe to do that. So if they go mm-hmm. to that place where there was so much hurt and trauma, knowing that Jesus was there and is there, and he kind of uh, cushions that in a sense. He mm-hmm. makes it less less painful. It might be painful to go there, but he's right mm-hmm. there in his presence and his grace that's ministering through you mm-hmm. and to that person at that time mm-hmm. makes it um, bearable and and, um, mm-hmm. and and the release can come. Well, you know, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that Jesus Christ calls himself the faithful witness is because he did witness the trauma. He was there, and for anybody who's listening, um, if you have a place like that of trauma or pain, and let's just say, let's just say, for example, that you see yourself being resentful or, or in denial or defensive, and you ask the Lord, say, okay, Lord, what is the reason? What's the lie that I'm believing that's causing me to be so harsh or defensive or resistant or um, you know, to my family or to myself. What's the lie? Take me back to the original place where I first believed that lie that that, that defensive is using or pride is using to get me to mm-hmm. act like this. And so when they go to that when they go to that place, um, uh, you know, Jesus takes them to that place where there's now a lie that they're going to be looking for in that memory. So in the memory, um, we look for the feeling. You say, feel the, find the feeling, or feel the feeling and find the lie. And so mm-hmm. the, the whole context of the trauma is set up in a um, uh, setting up, the devil is using it to program people, put lies in there like, I'm alone, I'm afraid, I'm confused, I'm on my own, I need to take care of myself, life's not fair, um, I hate um, all these liars and demons are working quickly to set up their uh, tenants, their program, their lies inside of that person's mind and experience so it becomes a part of the filter that they now see life through. So when Jesus comes in, uh, there might even be some resentment against God and where was God and why did God let this happen if God is so mm-hmm. good, et cetera, et cetera. So when you go there, um, the enemy is, is, is you know, working to hold on and the Lord, you're asking Jesus to show them the lie that they believe and show them the truth. And a lot of times the lie is, it's my fault. Uh, I mm. get it. I deserve mm-hmm. it. I'm bad. And that just sets people up for a whole bunch of demonic consequences in their life because they're so bad. And, and it's so unfair. And then they get mad at God because it's not, it's not fair. But God is not the one who's, who's judging them. A lot of people think God is judging them. And it really what it is, it's the enemy sets them up with the law tells them they broke the law, they sinned, and now they deserve to be punished, and therefore he is punishing them, but they're attributing it to God because they see God as the one who is, you know, good and, and gave us the mm-hmm. law in the first place. But Jesus said, you couldn't keep the law anyway, so I took care of it for you. So not that we're now going to be lawbreakers, but the fact is that God is good and the devil still wants us to be keeping the law. It says, what, you know, through the law comes the knowledge of sin, and the law gives sin its, its power. And so... Um, Going back to that person then who's feeling angry or resentful, the lie, what would the lie be? I'm, if I'm, you know, I'm feeling mad. I'm mad because why? Well, because it's not fair. Why isn't it fair? Because I'm defenseless and my parents should be loving me and they're not. And I'm confused mm-hmm. because, you know, I don't know how to honor them when they're being 
you know, mean to me. And so you get all these these consequences and conflicts going on. So what is the truth that Jesus wants them to know then? You know, mm-hmm. so the main truth is that Jesus Christ knows exactly what went on. And he knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows their heart. He knows, and the devil's trying to make it about everybody else but himself. So he's trying to get everybody to blame everybody else. When in fact, he is the instigator of the whole thing. Does that make sense? That does. Yes, it does. And yeah. But well, I appreciate it. You know, you know, yeah, and, and I know that there's probably other people who would like to, um, I mean, appreciate your call too, my dear. But I, if there's, you know, got any, do you have any specific um, cases or situations where you kind of like, um, you know, want to, you know, use as an example of whatever it is to get to the lie? Um, uh, I guess kind of think what the the main I guess the the one thing like um, I know like sickness and disease comes from mm-hmm. you know hurt and or the mm-hmm. anger and the, it can turn into that and Absolutely. when somebody is struggling in that it's you know they're looking at they're just sick that's just the way it is and i'm just wondering i know this is getting <laughs> to a different area but it kind of mm-hmm. goes along with it but mm-hmm. when you're you know and then you become defense de- um defensive because there's a mm-hmm. an illness then now and you don't mm-hmm. want to go there because you don't think well that's just because that's the way it is yeah sure yeah, I'm sick because I'm sick, and I'm in pain because pain is there. And 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 mm-hmm. yeah, we take pain, we take these sicknesses, and we take them as make them as part of us. I am, you know, I am depressed. I am, I ha- I'm allergic. I'm, you know, I have allergies. I've, you know, got mm-hmm. whatever COPD or whatever it is. And a lot of times, these things become part of. We embrace them. We agree with them as part of who we are. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do, so, so that he now has a right to be there because you've come into agreement with him. And, you know, all of these, a lot of the diseases are coming out of spiritual roots. For example, like you alluded to, um, this anger, if you hold your anger inside and it's like, you know, bitterness is swallowed anger. And when you're, mm-hmm. when you're bitter, it begins to tear away and burn in your, in your being, in your stomach, your bones, your joints. And you begin to get things like um, uh, arthritis and things, joint problems. It's, you know, a roots of bitterness springing up in Hebrews chapter 12 and, and defile many. And I think many members of the body become defiled by that spirit. But bitterness is saying it's never been made right. I'm still mad because this, this injustice has never gone away. Well, the key and the, the, the um, solution to all of these injustices is to forgive, which basically mm-hmm. means that you release that person um, from the things that um, that they've done to you or, or forgive them, release them so that they can be free. Um, mm-hmm. And the crimes then are turned over to God and God judges the crimes. Um, and usually that means that he's judging the criminal who is the enemy and not us mm-hmm. because we were pretty much victims as were the, you know, the, even the perpetrators were the victims of, of another set of lies, another set of demons. But, you know, when you put all of these these human difficulties into the context of spiritual warfare and demons um, and, and that and the context of lies and truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then you begin to really um, move into a new dimension of freedom and liberty 
and uh, the possibility of regaining your life. So I know that um, with your people as well, um, Jesus mm-hmm. is the is the Son, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And the good news is that we are, believe it or not, already free. The, that, mm-hmm. that not Jesus will set me free, but we Jesus has set us free. We are free. But the point now is to experience that freedom in the midst of all the devil's debating, accusations, charges, uh, experiences to keep us to keep us believing that that's not finished and it's not true. So mm-hmm. wow, well that you know it's really great that you. Um, and you know what, Kat, I think that we can understand spiritual uh, diseases, sicknesses and, uh, from this perspective and get a whole lot more um, relief and uh, restoration. So I think in one of the next upcoming shows, we're probably going to do one on the spiritual root causes of physical diseases. Um, and, yeah, and you might want to check out our store. Um, we've got a, a new book out called um, Diagnosing Your Family Tree. And it has in there a whole bunch of things that have to do with sicknesses and diseases. And so, but listen, I've got to do a commercial, my dear. And so, thank okay. you for calling. And uh, and uh, the Lord bless you. Lord bless okay. you. Thank you. Yes. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, if I'm saved, why do I still sin? That's a that's part of the question. Um, why are we still doing these things? You know, if Jesus is inside of us, why are we still defensive and retaliating and, and doing our addictions? What, what's going on? So go ahead, roll the commercial. Okay, so now I'm saved. I'm not living like I used to, but I find myself still sinning. So now I am a saved sinner, right? But how much can I sin and still be saved? Maybe I've really blown it and lost my salvation, or... Maybe I really didn't get saved at all because the more I try to be good, the worse I seem to get. And if I can't be good at being good, maybe I should just forget this whole thing and go back to being good at being bad. All this being saved and living to please God stuff just isn't working for me. Many believers are caught in these age-old struggles. Marjorie Cole has prepared a must-hear CD entitled, If I'm Saved, Why Do I Still Sin? This timely CD takes a clear and close look at the meaning of forgiveness and the futility of trying to be good in order to be saved. Marjorie helps you discover truth from God's Word that will give you the power and freedom to live without the frustration, discouragement, and self-condemnation you may have been going through. To order your copy of If I'm Saved, Why Do I Still Sin? Go to liferecovery.com. Again, go to liferecovery.com. All right, all right. So we're back. Um, That was great to have a call, um, someone who's asking questions and kind of working in the field as well of trying to help people get set free. Um, Trying, actually, not a good word. But we're working because God has given us the truth through his word. I would like to go back to a little bit more on that word defensive, my dear. Um, You know, I think this becomes a real um, marriage breaker it becomes, you know, and, and when people are trying to help someone who has an addiction uh, or, you know, we're, we're taking it as they're blaming us, that we have a fault, we're, we're you know, failing, we have a fault, uh, they're trying to cover up and we just don't know what to do, we're trapped. There's a scripture that says, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting that guys often, you know, they need women, right? 
So they need a wife. They need a wife. Okay, <laughs> they need a wife. And then you, God took a look at Adam and said, this guy needs a lot of help. Yeah. And I'm going to make the help that's just going to be right for him. So mm-hmm. one of the things that God does in a marriage is that he brings correction and, and encouragement and correction and that sort of thing through the other partner. But but sometimes, you know, it, you know, uh, how does this work when uh, you know the wife is perceived to be a nag or something? You're nagging at me, and why don't you just leave me alone? You know, I mean, you got your problems too, stuff like that. Uh, that really can pop up and be um, pretty ugly. Can get pretty uh, ugly pretty fast. Nasty, yeah, nasty. that is a big problem, and I know. Um, I think one of the problems is um, well, interesting. If we can go back to Genesis again. You know, when Eve um, took the fruit and ate it, God said to her as he came on the scene, he said, hey, what's going on here? And she said, the, the serpent lied to me. The serpent deceived me. And then when he got around to asking Adam what happened, Adam said, it's the woman you gave me. It was blame, blame, blame. <laughs> he was blaming God for giving him a bad wife. Right. Maybe, maybe. And this is what it yeah, sounds like. And then Eve blamed the serpent. Well, you know, Eve had it right. The serpent did deceive her. Right. But, and, and I, you know, the woman you gave me, I think this, this has set up an animosity. And even, even in the curses, even in the corrections, even in the judgments that came down from the mouth of God, it was very interesting. And then I know we're going on to another subject here, but I guess it's where we're going. Um, he says in chapter 3, he says, um, he says to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And her seed is capitalized. We're knowing that means Jesus. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. And then this is the verse. It says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Um, you know, a lot of times nobody wants to be told what to do, and to and I. But I think women were built to be um, an influence, uh, to be a helpmate, and to be protected. And I don't really think if they feel like they're being loved and and treated rightly uh, and cared for, I think they want to be protected. I think they want to feel safe. I think they want to be taken care of that way. But if they feel that there there's there's a jeopardy, there's danger. Uh, then they will they will take up the responsibility of protecting the children against the husband if they have to. But the problem is that women are kind of, uh, you know, I don't know what's the word. In this word, it means that they're given to um, the, the desire of their husband. They want, that's why I think a lot of women, for example, stay in very difficult and abusive relationships because they want this man, they want this protection, they want to see him love them, they want to see this thing fixed. And so they're kind of glued, hooked in, and he shall rule over you. But the man is not willing. There's a lot of ego, uh, more so, I think, in men than women, although I'm not going to try to make a comparison here or be sexist or anything. But I think they have a lot more need to to, to, to do it right, to be appreciated, to be respected, to be honored. And, And so when they don't feel good about themselves, uh, and they're feeling if they're taking it all personal and they don't know, um, you know, they're not, maybe their leadership skills are kind of being assaulted because of the addictions and the struggles that they're having, then they're going to get 
um, defensive. They're going to um, not listen. I got to prove it to myself. I got to do it myself. Um, and, and they don't trust their wives um, because the women deceived um, them, us, in the first place. You know, there was that issue where the Eve misled Adam, so it's kind of still hanging on. Well, what about this area where the wife does not trust the husband? Uh, maybe just, you know, just kind of doesn't trust his ability, doesn't trust his. Not that he's just betraying her constantly or anything like that, uh, but uh, d- doesn't trust his ability. Doesn't doesn't really believe that he knows what he's doing. And um, how does that work? Well, I think one of the things we have to realize is when we get, you know, usually opposites attract. And so when you bring a husband and a wife, a man and a woman together, you're going to have a compliment. You're going to have things. She's going to be good at some things. He's going to be good at other things. And when, for example, she wants safety and she sees maybe that he is not as good at, let's just use, let's just use um, uh, raising kids or, 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 you know, balancing the checkbook or whatever. When you see that, that you have a gift in that area and um, the other person does not, whichever way that might go, you're more likely to, um, you know, not want to just surrender to them because, you know, because they should, should have it. You, you want to, for the safety of the family, your higher goal is for the safety and future and protection of the family. So you might be having a gift that is not been acknowledged and or appreciated. And some men, for example, do appreciate, example, their wives doing the books because they're much more detail-oriented maybe, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe the guy is really detail-oriented and the woman is a spendaholic. I mean, and so you, you've got to work it out so it's best for your 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 marriage, your family, and without, you know, becoming defensive or uh, offended, I think we should be more grateful and thankful for the for the differences so that we can actually complement each other. So I don't know, but again, if we make a judgment, say, well, they're not capable, maybe you've not seen them capable, or maybe they don't have any confidence in themselves, or maybe there's um, other things that they're distracted by. We need to pull together and sit down and say, okay, what is the lie? What's the issue? What's the, what's the, the um, trauma? What's the, the thing that's keeping us from moving together in a powerful, united way here? Because um, that's exactly what the devil wants to do is divide up the family. Yeah, lot, what happens a lot of times in marriages is people just, just they're constantly running each other down. Yeah. You know, they're run, run running each other down for various reasons. And so... Or, or they're, or they're, I think part of that, too, is they're just, again, it can be because of past hurts, mm-hmm. um, unresolved conflicts. Um, it can, and I think defense, and this goes back to being a big thing, when people are not being heard, when they get, you know, like you've tried three or four times to tell somebody something and it's not safe, they get mad, they jump down your throat, or they, uh, they don't make, it's not safe to talk or discuss, and there's criticisms and negativity throwing back and forth. Uh, and it's a dangerous place then to plan a relationship. So we set up a little zone of distrust in our own little um, isolation areas, and, and we separate and we go look for false comforts. And that's a part of why we go and have affairs and go and do drugs is because we're trying to sedate and medicate our pain, drown our fear, our pain, our rejection. And then, of course, then pride comes in and says, I can't be wrong. It must be her. It must be him. Um, the fear of not being right, and go back to that arrogance and the fear of humbling ourselves. And this is the big bad problem, is that for all of us, all all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, everybody. And when we don't, you know, acknowledge that we need a Savior and that we need to repent, 
Um, and we're right. We just we're stubborn. We don't want it. We're rebellious. We can't see it. We don't hear it. That's what Ezekiel chapter 12 verse 2 says. Having eyes they do not see, having ears they do not hear, because they are a rebellious house. So that spirit of rebellion had closed their eyes and hardened their hearts to the fact that they needed correction. The same thing is happening in, in Romans, where he says, um, having eyes they do not see, having ears they do not hear. And, and God put a stupor, a spirit of stupor on them, or whatever I think it is, he, he permits the devil to put this spirit of stupor on them. So we, we have a lot of places, I think, not to be discouraged by whatever you're struggling with, you know, today, um, whether it's an addiction or a relationship problem or a, a marriage issue. I think the, the thing is, it's not about guilt or give up. It's not about being good. It's not about some people believe it's just too hard. The pit's too deep. It's too much work. It's too late. It's never going to work. Um, I'm, I'm never going to be forgiven. I can't forgive myself. Life is over. Um, I've tried too many times. It's a lot of work. It's too much money I can't afford. All these lies, um, my failure reconfirms my worthlessness. And we just sink deeper and deeper into that pit of self-destruction, self-condemnation. And that's exactly what the devil wants us. He wants us so um, boxed up, bound up, shut down, um, beat up, that we will not rise up and stand for righteousness or speak the truth or tell anybody about the gospel. So, again, um, our solutions are, are, you know, going back to the truth, going back to the word of God, surrendering, humbling ourselves. This works for your, your personal, individual life with an addiction, a spiritual, a personal struggle. This goes in the surrendering and humbling ourselves, coming to the truth, works in a relationship problem with a parent, child, mother, father, husband, wife, and your relationship with God, with yourself, humility, um, repentance, asking God to forgive you, forgiving yourself, um, and then so that we can stop hurting one another. We need to identify the lies and the devil's schemes and stop defending our demons. Right. So it really boils down to uh, be realizing that you're loved by God. Yeah. You know, that, that really is a solution to so many things. And there is such a barrier that we have. I mean, so many barriers that keep us from that real, we know it in our heads, but do we know it in our hearts? Right, and that's, again, going back to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I think so many of us are clinging to or defending the wrong gospel. We think it's a gospel of works. We think it's a gospel of taking responsibility, trying harder. It's up to me. And we apply that gospel to our addictions and to our cravings, and that's why we can't get any victory because we're just um, stuck with, you know, it's, it's the old flesh. It's the way of doing it in the natural. It's the way we did it. We survived doing it that way, trying harder, getting ahead, you know, striving, stressing, worrying. And, and, and you know, to surrender and to be um, peaceful and restful uh, is not, uh, we don't, that's not normal to us. That's not natural. It's not our usual position. Um, our position is usually anxiety. So, Another thing we need to do is ask ourselves, well, what, what does Jesus want me to do here? You know, rather than defending demons, if you're a Christian, what would Jesus do? What would he do right now if, if he were me and he is in you and this problem that you're looking at is really his problem? So when it's, it's really not about me, it's, it's not about what I want, what is going on is really much bigger than that. So the question is, what does Jesus want me to do in this situation? I'd like to uh, just... Um read uh, two verses of scripture here from Mm -hmm. um, 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, this matter of correction, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. all of us need correction. Where if we're, we're if it's a, it, we need to see it as a positive thing that that we're in this lifelong process. And we talked earlier about sanctification, mm-hmm. uh, devoting ourselves fully to the Lord. But it is a lifelong mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. Of, of, of of correcting, changing us. How, how should we do? What's what? What would you say, uh, Margie, is a proper view of this whole area of of, of correction when we're well, correcting? How should we receive it? And then, okay, I'm doing something wrong. I need to do something to make an adjustment here. I need to make a change. Well, I need to is usually not a good thing. Okay. I think what, what happens is, you know, the Proverbs are full of people who, um, you know, the wise man receives correction and the scoffer, you know, um, rejects it. And it, the, the whole thing about correction is, is, is the Lord, whom the Lord loves his children, he chases or corrects, he brings them up, he trains them up. And, you know, the thing is that correction is part of growing, it's part of learning, it's part of life and development, and yet if we reject that correction because that's telling, it's telling me something I don't want to hear, I don't want to deal with, I don't want to, you know, believe, then um, then we are going to stunt, be stunted in our growth. So It's true that with correction, it's just with anything, you know, within the sports, in school, mm-hmm. work, in our life, there's constantly things that we are we are learning, things yeah. that, we're, that we... We're not doing it quite right, and we can do it. You know, mm-hmm. We can do it better. We can do it different, and it's mm-hmm. not a matter of trying harder, but just a matter of of learning, right. and then and mm-hmm. then letting the Lord enable us yeah. to to make those adjustments. Well, I think too. Here's a really important thing: we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us who convicts us. You know, that's a part of con- correction, correcting our course. There's the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but the the, the enemy. Uh, who comes sometimes sounding like the Holy Spirit will bring condemnation to us, mm-hmm. which irritates us and makes us mad. And then we want to get defensive because we don't want to, you know, you know, well, we can't really accept that because condemnation takes us back to I'm bad. And so we're resisting the idea of being bad, and that keeps us from actually being corrected. I have, um, you know, one gal, she, she was, you know, her family is full of, um, uh, they're full of a lot of, um, uh, well, they say they're believers, and they are, I'm sure, but they have things that they do in the sun that are not very godly. You know, for example, it says that they gossip a lot. And so when she doesn't want to participate in that scenario, then she is seen as rebellious. And so, um, you know, it, it, you know you, you're judged then for, being, for not participating, but you're kind of caught in a double catch-22 there. But I want to read a couple of scriptures out of Proverbs 9, Six. It says, forsake foolishness and live. I think a lot of the things the devil would have us to do, whether it's false comforts, you know, addictions, is, is, is um, foolishness. He says, forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. He who reproves a scoffer gets shame for himself. Yeah, so if, you, if you're reproving a scoffer, you're going to get 
you know, you're going to get nailed, you're going to get shamed, he's going to come back at you with blame, and I thought you were such a good Christian, whatever. And he who rebukes a wicked man gets himself a blemish. So it, it depends on who's, who's, who's getting, who you're correcting. Do not reprove a scoffer lest he hate you. Uh, maybe you shouldn't throw pearls before swine. Sometimes it's better to be quiet. Rebuke a wise man and he shall love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he shall be still wiser. Teach a just man and he shall increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so you see that, you know, in every situation, um, wisdom is God's desire for us to get, walk away from foolishness to bring the light of God's truth in. But if, if you're rejecting that, you are foolish and you're a scoffer. But you yourself, I, as we're receiving that correction from the Holy Spirit, it's easier to take it. So sometimes when you want to correct someone, you might just want to pray that the Lord will bring correction, the Lord will show them, and that you will pray for them and pray to the Lord for them rather than going directly at them with something because they not, may not be ready to hear it from your lips. Mm-hmm. Well, God does not want us to be uh, gullible in any way, but he wants us to be discerning and he wants us to be teachable. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we see it in, in the Psalms, too, where the psalmist is saying in different instances, Lord, teach me. I want to know your word. I want to know your ways. Lead me in the way everlasting. Um, yeah. Well, we have a few a few minutes left, and I'd like to do a, a one thing. It's kind of an exercise that we sometimes do when we do our groups, and that is to um, help the people get to the root of a problem. So right now I'm going to pray for you. And if you want to participate in this, I want you to just listen. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And so, Father God, I just thank you for, my, uh, for our, our precious friends who are listening for this one who is, you will show them right now what is the issue that you want to address in their life. Just bring it to their mind right now. You said, my sheep know my voice. So let it be clear and I bind every spirit that would hide or block the revelation of that truth. And, Lord, as you're showing them that issue, I'm asking you, to show them what is the lie that the enemy has used, what is the lie that fear has been telling them in regard to um, getting free or quitting or losing weight or whatever, you know, whatever the, the issue. What is the lie that fear tells you? And if you want to, you can write that down. You can write it down or just remember it. The lie that fear is telling you, um, fear of being abandoned, fear of, uh, you know, not having enough, Fear of it's up to me. I got to do it myself. Can't trust anyone. Whatever it is, there's something. And Lord, now I pray that you take them to the original place where the enemy got them to agree with that lie, because all spiritual warfare is about agreements and authority. So the devil's going to have to take you back to a place in your life where you have either consciously or unconsciously agreed with the lie. And so as he takes you back to that memory, that moment, that place in time, I just bind the spirits that would block it, including anything that would keep watch over that traumatic place, the spirit of fear. I bind and forbid him in the name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, for uh, the revelation of your presence and your truth. The question I would ask is, Jesus, Son of the living God, as the faithful witness, were you there at that point in time when, my, uh, when this one was um, uh, traumatized or attacked? Were you there? And, Lord Jesus, what did the devil try to get them to believe? What was the lie that they believed? Show them what that lie was and show them what the truth is right now. And as you show them what the truth is, Lord God, I ask that you would reveal your love to them, your your presence to them, and show them right now what you are doing 
Is Jesus Christ with you in this memory as you see it again, as you go back to that place with him? Was he there? And what? And if he was there, we know he was there because he is, because he's everywhere at all times. What is the truth? What you wanted to tell my brother and my sister when the devil wanted to tell them a lie? And what's he saying to you? My question is, does Jesus Christ tell lies? Or is he telling you the truth? And if he tells you the truth, is there anything that would hinder you from believing and embracing that truth right now? Guilt, shame, fear, unworthy. So Lord, we ask, command all the liars, the demon keepers, the gatekeepers, the wardens, the prison guards, those who would bind and blind or block this um, one from freedom that have been put in place by the enemy to hold the programs in place, to hold the lies in place, to keep this one in, held hostage. We just permit them. We take the sword of your word. We can't command them to be separated now. That spirit of addiction, craving, I've got to have it, the spirit of pain, fear of pain, the feelings, um, every anything the devil's doing to block them, lock them up. And we say, Lord God, who will deliver my brother and my sister from this body of death? Who would but you? And Lord, we thank you now for showing them your truth. And so I'm going to ask you, is with you, um, what is he doing? What does he want to do for you right now? Lord God, will you show them what you want to do for my brother and my sister? This is not guided imagery. I'm not showing you or telling you what you should be seeing. Lord Jesus, I ask that you remove all blindness, all blocking, blanking, any kind of thing that the enemy would use to hinder them from receiving the revelation of your love and repentance. Because repentance means I'm going to change my mind now. I'm not going to believe that lie anymore. I'm going to embrace the truth and the freedom and the, and the cleansing that it brings, the restoration that it brings. And I'm going to ask you too, is there anybody in this memory that you need to forgive? Because if there's someone that comes to your mind that the Lord has shown you that they've committed a crime against you, then you are wanting to release them from your judgment and turn those crimes over to God. So say this with me, dear Lord Jesus, I come to you right now as your child and I release, and you put the name of the person in there, a person from my judgment and I turn the crimes they've committed against me through the counsel and under the influence of the enemy. I turn those crimes over to you, Lord God, in the court of heaven. And I ask you, as my righteous judge, to restore unto me the revelation of your love, your salvation, your truth, that you give me a hunger for your word, and that those who have been used by the enemy to hurt me, that you'd also release them from the judgments and bring those judgments upon the evil one, that you give them the revelation of your love, your salvation. And if they're already passed on, then I release them, that you, Lord God, are a righteous judge and you will do that which is right in your sight and that's okay with me because you are a just and righteous God. And I ask that you restore unto me now everything that's been stolen from me through this bitterness and unforgiveness, even the unforgiveness I've had towards myself, that you remove from me all the the spirits of self-judgment, self-condemnation, condemnation, shame, guilt, that you remove from me all of the harsh words, I forgive them, I ask that you break the curses of the words off of me and set me free. And I thank you, Lord, for your truth. Now, Lord Jesus, I pray, Son of God, you said you're the door, that you would close the door that the enemy has been using as we send these liars and thieves, spirits of addiction, um, uh, fit-throwing, anger, rage, violence, defensiveness, um, offense. We send them to the exit door of my brother and my sister's life. And as we send them to the door, Lord God, I ask that you'd show them where you want to send them 
And as we agree that you send them back to the place they belong, to the pit, wherever you're sending them, that you close the door and fill the soul and the, and the heart and the life of this one with hope and peace, restoration, deliverance, healing, and, and the, the, the peace and the celebration of your love would fill their lives right now, Father God, in Jesus' name. And I thank you for securing their house. Amen. Now, we just bless you. I know we're just about out of time. We've got a couple of announcements here, and then I think what we're going to do is going to run a couple of commercials and and, and the show next week. Join us for another. Um, we're going to be talking about um, uh, why can't I concentrate? Why can't I concentrate? And if you're around the Minneapolis area, Breaking Generational Curses on May 17th at the Rogers Holiday Inn. It's a free conference. Workshop Breaking Generational Curses will be uh, uh, focusing on the generational bloodlines. And we, um, you're welcome to join us. Just go on the website. You'll find the details. So that's May 17th. That's a Saturday all day free. Um, so go ahead and uh, why don't you we'll say goodnight. We love you guys. We'll run the commercials. Why can't I concentrate? And that's our topic for next week as well. God bless you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Uh, let's see. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, whoa, uh, where were we here? So often we find it hard to keep our thoughts focused amid the frenzied pace of our multitasking, multimedia world. So many distractions. Should I empty my mind or should I fill it? And brain fog moves in again and we feel blanked out, blocked out, and scattered every which way. It's a tough way to live. Attention deficit, autism, and Alzheimer's have become epidemic in our modern society. It's an all-out war the enemy is waging for our hearts and minds. Where's the help? Where's the hope? Why Can't I Concentrate is Marjorie Cole's dynamic CD that shows just how the enemy is working to shut down our minds and most importantly, how we can be free. To place your order for Why Can't I Concentrate, go to liferecovery.com. Again, that's liferecovery.com. Life Recovery offers a wide variety of books, teaching manuals, CDs, and DVDs, all designed to expose Satan's lies and equip believers with the powerful weapons of spiritual warfare. 